0: little things like that they just taught me um to be on time and don't don't be a an a-hole as k-love would say um that's that's that's, that's rich coming from k-love <laughs> yeah so crazy though he the, one of the first things he told me this is all on the court thing. he was like have you seen a white guy in the nba that's not an asshole and i'm like maybe and he was like no if you're going to be successful in the nba as a white guy you kind of got to be an asshole and then he just <laughs> laughed away, just like that so this is andre Iguodala. this is evan
1: turner we're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball but life and that means something something, something something
2: it is like a finger pointing away to the moon don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory
1: that level of understanding has been taken out of the game
2: What's up, y'all? Welcome back. Another episode of Point Forward. I'm Andre. Y'all know ET. Thanks for joining us for the 25th episode of the season. We got some good topics to dive into. And a very good interview. And despite some early technical problems, it actually turned out to be a good one. And also, Dre, it's playoff season. Our great team from Point Forward looked up your stats and it comes off that you played 35 playoff series, which is more than two full NBA seasons worth of games. That's crazy, bruh. I never even thought about that, I guess. I don't know. That's a that's, <laughs> a, that's wild, bro.
1: That's it. It's
2: <laughs> I'm like, damn, that's that's crazy.
1: It is. Well, hopefully I can bless the court. Uh for possibly the last time. Who knows what's going on. But uh yeah, I'm in ai am I'm, I'm coming around a little bit, uh mentally, physically. So hopefully uh or God willing, the, the plan comes into play.
2: Yeah, well, literally
1: and figuratively.
2: Well, let's speak into existence. When you do bless the court, it'll be be playoff time, obviously, or probably like, what, the second third round.
0: Mm -hmm. But, uh,
2: you know, tell us the difference between the regular season games and, and, uh, you know, the playoff games. Obviously, it's more competitive, but, like, what allows teams to, you know, survive in advance? I think it's just being able to stay locked in
1: for the longest period of time. It's like that mental fortitude, you know what I mean? Um, just watching, like, watching the Clippers-Phoenix series, if that don't get you going as a Hoops fan, then you're probably not a real yeah. Hoops fan. Like, I'm watching these dudes get after it. Yeah. And I think it's been like that for, I think, a, he has some really, really good playoffs thus far. Like, even our series, you know, um, Sacramento, I think was ranked the lowest defensive team in the entire playoffs, but just their physicality, you know, in the series um, has been quite interesting to see like Mike Brown got them, you know, really locked in the playoff mode, you know, and trying to sustain it is not, it's easier said than done. You know, you look at um, on the Sunday night, we had a ton of upsets, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you had Miami taking the game, you had um uh the Clippers taking the game um and then you had the Lakers taking the game now some lower seeds might be the the favorite but it's still a lower seed taking the game and so it's really been uh, about like you know who can set the tone but at the same time it's like who can sustain that for the longest and understanding that you know the biggest thing about the playoffs is like you can't turn it on and off so it's not like one yeah. game you can be super locked in like we took that game And then as soon as you relax just a little bit because you think, yeah, we got us a win, it could change in a heartbeat because every game is a chess match and there's going to be counters to counters to counters to counters throughout the whole seven game series. So you just got to be able to adjust the fastest as well. So I think that's a key component to it.
2: That's real. And one last question. The two arenas in uh, San Fran and Sacramento are like 80 miles apart. Have you ever been involved in like a bus series? And how much of a difference does that make? Like, is it way easier? Do you guys travel the day of the game? Like <laughs> <You> <laughs> know, it's, it's funny,
1: like we never had a series with um we had a series with uh we never had a series with Jersey and, and people didn't know we always bust to Jersey to play the Nets, right? Yeah,
2: I hated that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's it's
1: very, very similar. It's almost like the same yeah, thing. It's a yeah, little yeah. bit longer of a drive, and especially like right after practice, it's a longer drive. Um, so the traffic can get to you. So it's, it's only supposed to be like an hour and Ten minutes, hour, five minutes, but when you get in traffic, the the last regular season we played in SAC, it was like a three and a half hour ride. Like I took like four naps and woke up and was like, "Why am I not in SAC yet?" Yeah, and yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. But and once uh, you see
2: that, uh, once you see like the sun go down and like you still been on the bus like that the whole time, you like, dog, like where are we? It it kind of you have to like re wake yourself up and be like, all right, let me play this game for real because I didn't say fuck it yeah man but but other than that
1: i don't think i've ever been you know the rivalry game going to asu did we i think we took a
2: plane to asu i don't even think we drove to asu when i was at arizona as you should have that's 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 uh that's zona baby i I wouldn't i wouldn't expect royalty to show up in in any other way (laughs)
1: You know, what I mean? we didn't have problems right. back
2: then, though. We was on Southwest. Oh,
1: were y'all <laughs> yeah, oh, we had... yeah? We had uh, we was on Southwest majority of them flights. Really? Like all of them almost. Yeah, yeah. I wonder y'all if we took ever had commercial a bro. Y'all took
2: commercial planes. Did you hear what I just said? Southwest. Bro, that's crazy. There's no way the Arizona basketball team Luke and everybody's on. That's crazy. So the least got... they could have did was at least they could have did was give us a freaking flyer miles or something. No, nah, the coaches take that. The coaches the at 80. They t- what they do, uh, they used to always say Neil O'Shea would take all the points, take all the teams points from every uh from every road trip. Then once the season was over, buddy would be balling with a million points. Cause think about that. And hey, you know how this has brought me to something.
1: And I'm not even back on the court I don't know maybe they they might hold grudges they might not but it is what it is you know how we always find random facts on you know like IG you know you got those uh, pages or those whatever you call them Um, they specifically are tailored to like facts about different sports the NBA you know they'll go like we were talking about the guy the best player to ever come out of Los Angeles um, who played at uh, Cal State LA he was drafted by the Sixers in like 73. Uh, but I just sent it to you, and they said he gave Doug Collins uh, 60 points in the first half of a scrimmage. They cut it short because Doug was the number one draft pick, and uh, I think it was a four year, like $190,000 deal. He was the 18th pick, I want to say, but then Raymond Lewis, Doug, Raymond Lewis, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. And so he gave, um Doug was getting paid 200,000 a year. So he was like I'm not accepting a four year 190,000 in total deal when I'm just gave the 200,000 a year, man, 60 and a half. And so he never he never signed an NBA team. The deal never went through cuz he you know, he just he didn't sign a deal, but they they were saying he had some amazing summer leagues in LA going up against Michael Cooper, um giving yeah. him 52. And Michael he Cooper gave a couple, was
2: a stopper, right? He yeah. was the
1: number one defensive perimeter player in the league. And then it was saying how he gave uh, a couple guys 81 that played in the league. Like it was that was just an amazing um, yep. stat line here. Um, so for you to come up with uh, who's taking all the frequent flyer miles is a Jimmy you just dropped on us. Before we dig into this week's interview, where well, we are joined for a Minority Report with Cavs Dean Wade, this is where we remind you to look out for us on TikTok, IG,
2: Substack, and the Usuals. At point forward. And make sure you're catching us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to or watch podcasts.
1: Point
0: forward.
2: E.T. tax day just passed. Um
1: it's normally on April 15th, but because it was on the weekend, now it's April 18th. Um, so we there's been a lot of conversations on taxes in general, especially right now with the markets being the way they are. Um, I have some crazy I've had many crazy discussions around taxes, and so I wanted to throw that in the hat for us to, to to discuss. And specifically, the part about tax refunds is what's on my mind. Uh, I figure most folks already know about um, athletes and our taxes. Like we play taxes in every state we play in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few states who. They get on some BS and they want to call something a jock tax. Um, Tennessee back in the day. we were, some, some Tennessee. Dudes, they yeah, still
2: tr- yeah. They were paying to – certain dudes were basically paying to play in the state of uh, Tennessee up until like 20 Well, they put that – they
1: tried to put that on all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, then yeah. we had uh, – we took it to the Supreme Court because it was wilding. But Tennessee wasn't the first state. Um, I think California had one at some point as well. Um, but, yeah – some states taxes are higher than other states, depending on how often you play there. Um, you you always hear about this in free agency. You know when you do your pitches with certain teams, um, like um like a Texas team or a Florida team, they might sit down with you and tell you what your contract is actually valued in dollar terms with the taxes involved. So. You know, I would be negotiating with the Warriors for say 50 million, but then if I negotiated with uh San Antonio, they would say if we played you 45 million in, in real estate and taxes and uh lifestyle, living, all that, our forty-eight million will be worth 70 million in California. You know what I mean? So they break it down yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah a lot of people talk about that. I've had conversations about that. So I feel like the fan base knows about that and we're not filing our own taxes. I hope y'all know that too. Like we have tax advisors for that. And so, yeah, I do. but the, the issue that I've ran across many a times, especially with folks who I grew up with or where I'm from, who may not, you know, understand them quite as well. Most people from our backgrounds get tax refunds, which we don't get tax refunds. You know, like, I, I just want to make sure they get all their money and leave me alone. Yeah, me too. But people, people don't understand how tax refunds work. So most people get a refund check. I don't even know what month that is. Like I got an income tax check
2: back. Like that was like, we go, you know, was that Easter shopping? Is that how that worked? I think it's something like it. I always look forward to, it's not the same, but I, I used to just look forward to licensing. And I was like, to me, that was like, I'm saying for right, like Why are you in the league? Yeah, why well, I was in right. the league? Like, that was like something where it was like, if we we're going to say right. like refund, that was for me. You feel me? True. I'm thinking from when we were shorties. Okay. And so I bring
1: all this up because I would get people saying, you know, donate to this, donate to that, give to this, give to that. It's a, it's a tax write off. And people don't understand what tax write offs mean. And so I'm going to try to break it down as simple as possible. A write off basically means, what the government will tax you on. And so if I have $10 million and I donate $1 million to somebody, that means the government only taxes me their 52%, which is what it is in California. I'm talking about all the taxes combined. That means I'm only getting taxed 52%, 55% on 9 million and not 10 million. But I do not get that million dollars back. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that I've had so many conversations with people be, say to me, if you donate to this. It's a tax write off and you can write off as much as you want. And I'm thinking to myself, no, it doesn't work like that. I still have to spend the money. So the money has yeah. gone yeah. regardless. And so if I if I give you a, a million dollars. That doesn't mean that it's free money and like I get that money back. That money's gone. That means they yeah. only gonna tax me or whatever I got left. Yeah. So I still had to spend the money. And so I get that so often that it's quite hilarious. But I just wanted to break it down to anybody who didn't understand. Did I did I explain
2: that decent? I, I thought you explained it. I mean, it was simple. It was the most simplest shit you done said. Usually you would have took me that way. I'm still, I'm still that, with you. Thank you. And All right.
1: I've had so many. Unreal conversations about this. Like I've I've lost relationships over a tax write off because people are upset with me because I didn't give to their cause that would go straight in their pocket. <laughs> Essentially, is what bro, i that, that's a, And that's the new hustle, bro. A lot of people, bro, yeah. that's
2: the new hustle. They'd be like, Yo, I got a non-profit, I got this, and like before you know, it, you're like, How is this nigga living in Mexico? Like, you know what I'm saying? like dead serious. You like, How is he? What? Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, if, if it's a charity, why, why, man, man, like, get out that Lamborghini Urus if it's a charity. You feel what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> hey, so shout out to everybody that got their taxes done on time. <laughs> and then another
1: another piece of knowledge why ET and I are thoroughly enjoying the laughter of the audacity of human beings that have crept away in our lives. Um, most wealthy people get extensions. So, yeah. We pay a lot of money in taxes. So please treat our streets and uh, recycle and let's do better humans. Point forward. Hey, uh, it was an amazing. uh, It was amazing weekend last weekend um, that I was truly looking forward to. I haven't spoken to you. Did
2: you go to Coachella? Did you see Franklin? No, bro. I was going to go next week after the fight. Okay, so so Frank Ocean is my favorite artist, and
1: uh, most folks don't know that. Even um, my man Jacob Rubin, uh assistant coach for the Warriors, he didn't know that.
2: I just don't understand why, with all that being said, everybody's saying the performance is terrible. I just hate that. I hate that, bro. Yeah, I was. I felt like,
1: yeah, as long as you can hear him and he's singing, you good. He killed the uh, at your best, and then he switched up the. He remixed a lot of the songs with different tunes, different acoustics. And I felt like he was Frank. It may not be as long as you wanted it. You might have had to wait, but you got blessed. My opinion. Man, I saw the track list.
2: And bro, he didn't even perform Ivy. So your favorite Frank song must be Ivy. It's either Ivy or uh. Yeah, it's probably Ivy or or um oh no, bro. Pink Matter. Pink Matter is my favorite Frank song ever.
1: Yeah, for sure. Pink Matter is amazing. Yeah, I think that's one of the best songs. I don't ever. I don't know if I have one. Um close to you is a sleeper. There's a crazy um Stevie Wonder um uh, sample. Where Stevie Wonder has that uh like like his own version of auto-tune like with the with the chord with the uh keyboard and he did it live on the show Vocal and it was from like the 70s, 80s or whatever. Right. He did it on one of them live late night talk shows and, and Frank Ocean uh, sampled it and he just killed the song. The song's only like 55 seconds a minute, but that's right. probably one of my favorite songs. Swim Goods, amazing
2: too. What mm-hmm. do you, do you that's from like, Nostalgia. Yeah. What about, I guess White Ferrari is pretty lit. White Ferrari. He did White Ferrari yesterday for the first time oh. live. And then uh, P- Pyramids. Obviously, you got to go with that yeah. because wasn't like nights. a nine-minute song. And nights is the second part of uh, nights is,
1: Blondes' version of, uh, pyramids for uh, Channel
2: Orange. And then self-control. I felt like a good one. self-control. I was about to say that one. It's not on his album, but. Uh... On the life of Pablo, after they did the song Wolves, and then they let Frank come on for that thirty yeah, seconds, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, Frank's track that was hard, and then obviously crazy. the first verse of Uh Purity off the ASAP Rocky joint, Frank
1: mm, killed that mm, too. Mm.
2: You put me on it at late, uh,
1: but yeah, we're for- yeah. everyone's forgetting about the Endless album because it was a video album. That's how you finesse the label. So Endless was the album oh, okay, dropped, okay, yeah, and then he got out of his deal. And then that's when he dropped Blonde, which was like his own thing. But on Endless, uh, UNITY Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite songs. And Come to Go Songs is one of my favorite. Oh, Wither. Wither's amazing
2: vocally. Bro, that's hard. I feel like people aren't going to like this, but take off Jay Z and Tyler of Biking and just a solo of Biking. Mm. It's one of the hardest songs. Mm. Ever and then, like, at the end when he's just screaming, I've never felt somebody more like, God damn it, God, damn, like, all that. Like, you're going crazy. What once every Sunday I play that just to scream? Ah, uh, it,
1: it makes me it reminds me of uh, what's the <laughs> show? Oh, Chanel, see you on both sides, like, um, Chanel. but the show, uh, shrinking, uh, um. They spend like uh is you take like 15 minutes you do the five, 15 minutes a day just sitting there crying, and then you good for the rest of the like. That's like a, um, it's like therapy. So like you screaming yeah. is like therapy. You just thought me that. that. Shrinking's a really good show if you haven't checked it out. You gotta watch it. That's hard. And it's high and it's and it's high high end, it's like high IQ uh content. It's like comedy and drama, like some real life issues. It's dope. You so got you a... gotta check it out. Point forward. Oh, back to sports um, and business, actually. Right. The Washington Commanders are finally being transacted, so sold slash acquired. Uh, our guy, who we had an opportunity <laughs> to play along, we don't have to say play for anymore. We can say play along. Uh, Josh Harris, who bought the Sixers. What you was he? Were you, I was there. Were you, yeah, I'm saying.
2: But was he the was he the governor of the team before you got there, or when you were already? When I uh, Ed Snyder did that one year and then passed away, and then I got uh, I, Ed died while we were there. I thought he died after we left Philly. Man, I don't know. But
1: anyway, he Josh, passed for sure. Yeah, yeah, Josh, you just be killing people. You just, you worse than my wife with
2: that. You just be killing that's people. That's <laughs> so Josh was there in like 2012. He okay, okay, okay. He's def, He's definitely collecting collecting teams that's for sure
1: collecting them like pokemon so the team um actually sold for 6.05 billion and it's the highest in it might be the highest in sports history i believe um with manchester united hasn't been sold yet they still they might be off the table but it's best at the uh broncos just being bought for four billion so this was within a year you got two billion, but of uh, Denver and the DC markets are different. Uh, but that's still a yeah. price tag. Uh, Snyder bought the team for 800 million. That's uh, true. so that's a hell of a return. Um, NFL teams, are, NFL teams are just rising and rising. With uh, you know, streaming has actually helped sports. Because yeah, you're trying sure. to get the most eyeballs, and sports have the most live eyeballs that you could predict in time, which means you can advertise around it, market around it, um, and, and and there's a lot of uh, the data shows that you know uh, you see the Super Bowl, half the world's watching. So um, you know it's an interesting group with Harris. Uh, he he co-owns the Sixers, uh, also yeah. the New Jersey Devils, and then he has a, a minority ownership of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Probably mm. has to sell that. Um, also, the head of an investment group that includes. Uh, Maryland businessman and philanthropist Mitchell Rails and uh, Magic Johnson was a part of that group that brought the commanders as well. Oh, so that words, was super yeah. exciting to see. Magic is done. Shout out to Magic. Magic's done a great job of just being able to network and um, put himself in uh, different scenarios um, of business to yeah. uh, make moves and be of value. I think he does have value knowing how the sports work. And uh, I think it's dope. Uh, I got an interesting story about do you remember your RTP program? Yeah. We had one where uh, the question was, what do you want to do outside of basketball? Like, you know, you get that question. Like, what do you want to do after After your career is over? What passions do you have? And I yeah. was like, you know, I see myself. I never forget this. I was like, I see myself, you know, being in business. Uh, owning multiple businesses being like involved in how the businesses run you know just continue to learn that throughout my career and being set up kind of like what Magic done he's owned a lot of different entities being part of a yeah. lot of different groups and do you know the response I got what uh Magic is just one person like he's one of all NBA players like it's only one Magic Johnson and that's something that is very hard to attain. So you know, for now, let's think of things that are like smaller scale. Like I think you like that's a grand idea. Like let's try to be more realistic. It was almost like you, crazy, your teacher asked you what you want to be when you grow up. That's right. And you say I want to play in the NBA, and they be like, Nah, I'll pick something like construction. That's crazy,
2: bro. So what, what was that? What year was that? That was oh four, four, oh four. Yeah, Lee. And think about yeah. it, bro. In two decades. Now look, like dudes are going to be magic 100 times over and you actually helped, you know what I mean? Navigate that way and find those options and opportunities to be able to think bigger than basketball. That's that's type hard. Uh, I'm Should sitting start. with a, py- a pioneer. Give me a little bit of a... Thank you, my brother. A little screen love. I'm shade hey. on the knuckles. Who's that's your football hard. team? Who's your football team, by the way? Man, I to be honest with you, I just... I say the bears just for the sake of it, but um I was a big Manning fan, like a fan in the Manning family. I was a big mm-hmm. fan of them. And then when Pat Mahomes came in, I was you know, I jumped on a bandwagon like like everybody did with Steph. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just basically I'm 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 a Chiefs fan for real. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Kansas City, get your shit together. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Point forward. Um
1: I know you ever seen a player have a game like Russ game one? The Clippers-Phoenix uh,
2: game? Probably me, for real. but <laughs> Man, this man. What, what was he, three for 19? Yo, three for 19, but like, it was, bro, it was, he had like eight games in one. He had like, like a game of a dude that was filling in for one of the best players being hurt. <laughs> then, he had, then he had a game. Keep going. Then he had a game of like, just a Pat Bev. He, Keep he went going. Pat Bev. <laughs> then, then he had, then he was Zach Randolph or like uh Dennis Rodman at halftime. Like his, his whole day was a movie, my my guy. Keep going. Mind you, how them boys went up three was like one of the huffest, most terrible falls on earth in my. Future Hall of Fame homie, damn near, banked that bitch back to half court. Went to the free throw line, made two free throws. Got to stop on one of the best scorers in the league. Showed his chest that I got heart and, like, legit went trending, bruh. Three and for we, 19 should be killing you. They're they like, put, during this, he was trending, like, literally turned up on a road versus KD, dog. And was guarding KD Was guarding KD. Bro, Buddy was looking for gold. Like, he literally was like, whatever I can... Like, legit, say what you want about Russ. Everything that occurred, bro. Buddy went in there and just said, fucking, I'm going to compete, dog. ET. In all, at all levels, bro. Straight up.
1: I watched the game and was like, yo, man, this is, this is probably one of my favorite game ones of all the series, right? After watching the game, I'm talking to other people about the game. Somebody was like, Russ was 3 for 19. I said what I just watched the entire game I didn't miss a yeah. minute I had no idea Russ was three for 19. that's
2: how good he was playing yeah for sure bro <laughs> and then, bro like and he is playing like to be honest with you like he's playing like he have a dollar to like chase like chase down contest everything bro shout out to Russ man and they were trying to do him in too shout out shout out to Russ bro he wasn't Straight done out. yet what do he do after the game I mean, oh, you didn't see him, you didn't see him run up in the people's suite. <laughs> oh, no, I thought that was not bro. Is that the sweet or is that like the you know how the game is? Like they take you through like the they
1: doing they the, doing too much essentially. Like they want
2: to give yeah. fans the cowboys started yeah, I don't that. Agree I'm blaming with that. I'm blaming yeah, Jerry I, Jones. Yeah, but that, yeah, I never because I remember when, when we coached there last year, I'm like, where are we walking to, dog? Like you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And like mm-hmm. this is just a recipe for disaster. The same thing with Orlando, they have you walk back through the fans. And then they say whatever they want to you and then wonder why Brad Bill slapping your hat off your head. Dad, there it is right there. There it is, right there. And so we've gotten to the
1: point where the fan engagement is really, really important. It's like there's fan engagement, but then you have the gambling aspect of it. And yeah. those two worlds are just too close together. Like there should be you gotta separate it some way somehow for the safety, for the safety sake. And it's just it's just gotten unreal, and so we got to rethink it. Maybe we do something where, um, we do it just kids before or after games, or we set a part up part of at certain times. Demar Rosen started got death threats, uh, for the playing game, like Toronto getting out of pocket. All no, right, bro. Not pro- Canada, Canada, y'all starting to act like America, all yeah, right? Y'all, yeah, y'all me, all right, bro. be careful before y'all yeah. start following with people, all right? Like America, yeah. we we got some
2: bad habits. Don't pick up on our bad habits, all right? Sports ain't that serious where y'all talking crazy to 10-year-olds. I don't know. I think one thing that somewhat uh, bothers me about, like, the rough situation or, like, a lot of times you, you see uh, adults interact. You can't – when you don't have your kid, which you cool but you see a lot of times – a father beefing with a player in front of his child. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, bro, that is just, like, you're lame as fuck. Like, it's not cool. It's not, like, set a standard set, like, how you're supposed to act and treat people. Like, and then you're setting your kid up for failure because once, if his kid went to school and started bothering anybody else like that, he might just get punched in the face. You know what I'm saying?
1: I I don't condone violence But I I, I agree with it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I don't don't condone killing. But like if your lip split and you got a headache for two days, like take that little, take that a little bit.
1: Point forward.
2: All right, y'all. So now it's time for down for that, clown for that.
1: All our new listeners, um, ET and I agree on pretty much everything, but not really everything. Down for that, clown for that is where we take a stance on a trending subject and decide whether we are down for it or have to clown it. This week's topic, quite interesting, Cam Newton, our guy, you know, we're Cam Newton fans. Um, Cam Newton says there's no need to go to the biggest, best college football programs anymore. If you're good, it don't matter where you go, they're going to find you. I promise you that. A lot of y'all, y'all want to go to the Alabamas, the North Carolinas, the North Carolina State's, Bro, you better go somewhere where you gotta put yourself first because when you play for that G, when you play for that A, when you play for that T, when you play for that AU, bro, they're putting themselves first. They're bulletproof. E.T., are you down for that? Or
2: are you clowning it? Uh, I'm... I'm down for it, like, looking back on it. You know what I mean? Because nothing was guaranteed, I mean, nothing's guaranteed, and, like, you, you talk sometimes about, and like, in college, how, like, you're able to make it to a lead, but the decisions that were made weren't personally best for you. Correct. You understand? What I'm saying same way with me. Like, in college, I had to bully my way in the position I wanted to be in, like, not, like, I have to sit there, like, my coach coming up to me and being like, yo, you could be the best defender to ever come out of here. And I'm like, whoa, champ, I'm, I'm not trying to be that. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right? I didn't come here for that shit. Like, and we butted heads. I'm like, bro, I'm not trying to be, like, no D guy. Like, none of that. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. come here to, to guard whoever and then go to the crib. Like, I'm, I, I even told my position coach, I'm like, until you train me like a star, I'm not doing no more individual workouts. You got me out here catching, shooting, and shit. Like, I'm a whole, like... I got more to my game than that. And I feel as though every situation is a situation where you work together much more than, you know, you point and say, go and do. You understand Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I think it's a coach's responsibility to put you in a position to succeed, not whatever gets him a contract extension. And vice versa, you have to, um, you know, show up day in and day out and, you know, put the pennies in each day in order to uh, garner, you know, the results you want. But that's all I feel. What do you think? So here's my, I'm
1: going to go against it only because the NIL is in place now. Yeah. Where you can actually profit of it. So there's your selfish part of it. But I do feel like, so I have, you know, I, I think I've told you this before. I might've spoken on this before where first day of my sophomore year, first practice, they had me playing with the bigs. So first day of practice, we split the guards and the bigs, and we we were light on bigs. We had uh, Dennis Lattimore transferred, Isaiah Fox, my brother, is acting like Isaiah Fox. Uh, then we had a transfer, Ivan Rodanovic, who was nice. I think he might still be hoopin'. He probably done hoopin', but he could go. Like he was stretch four, like the first yeah. one of the first stretch fours. <laughs> but he wasn't gonna be ready till second semester. And so Channing was our only big. And so they were like Andre Hassan, y'all going down there with the bigs. I'm like, bro, I didn't, I, I didn't think I had an opportunity to go to the NBA. And now I'm seeing my name on draft boards, and y'all telling me I ain't that good. Fam, <clears throat> everything I do from here on out is I want to be the best basketball player that I can be to try to get to the league. And playing a four or five is not going to do that. They like are. last year, last year I played a little bit of point. I'm a, I'm on the wing. And I'm trying to get my... I, all summer, I worked out on my wing skill sets, shooting the ball, everything I need to do to be a, a, a small forward, shooting guard in the NBA. There's no way I'm sacrificing my career for... Nah, 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 nah. So what did I do? This is probably the only time I have did this. Nah, not the only time. I was immature. Fam, I went down there and messed up every job possible, bro. I'm not going to lie. Like, I act like I ain't know how to seal in the post. I act like I, act like I ain't know how to do high-low. Yeah, yeah. And then every time uh, Channing or Isaiah post me up, they they... They've taken me under the basket. I'm going back up under the basket. Yeah. I'm not. No, this... Hassan ended up being the four that year. <laughs> yeah. And I got up out of there. No. Like, that was not cool, fam. I, I'm looking back. I was like, yo, this is not cool. Like, nah. nah. No, and hey. It's like you said.
2: Go ahead. Oh, no. My second year, I played the four in college. Because David Lighty broke his foot, who was supposed to be the three-man. I was supposed to be the two. But we... Literally, but when you sit there, it's like... That was a big year of development, and like when you look back on it, I only say this stuff. I use Jalen Williams from uh from OKC, OKC. Thunder. He has said something. He went to Santa Clara, and his I think his younger brother's on the draft board as well. And he's like, mm-hmm. we discussed going somewhere where they you know had a you know have a spot for you and they plan for you much more than you having a battle. Or even you look at Clay Thompson. Clay mm-hmm. Thompson went to Washington State, got his shit kicked in every single year, never came close to winning. Got his skill set up to show that he was a great scorer, great shooter, off the dribble. Like even got caught with the with the dope, but still went at top ten or eleven pick. But went into a position where he was sharpening his blade for the next level. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes right. in college, coaches will have you locked up, locked in on winning a, a Big Ten title, which is huge, but it might you know uh, it might hamper you along the way. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I, I will I, to to say I'm a, to, I'm not clowning it but I am against it because like I said before the NIL and I do think there is a sense of competition and winning has to be I think winning should be near the top of all of our reasons to play the game. And so yeah. yes, I, I want to go to the league and and I'm playing for free so how how important should winning be on that scale like it should be weighed pretty heavily but listen yeah. there is like there's a mean team too as Kobe would say
2: no no for sure but I feel <laughs> where you coming from Dra. I'm I'm talking about like five or six years ago sure winning like right now winning does not matter like shoot 35 yeah. percent from yeah. the three shoot yeah. it far legit transfer out after every year like but I think that's what's wrong with the game Oh no, I dig you, but I'm just saying the game is being set up for that. Like I wish I could speak highly and it's something like you got dudes in the lead that can't play and it's legit, like he shoots this, or we're doing a technical analytic. Like the heist is to try to finesse from the numbers. Just do that and learn life. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not, they're not, it's it's you even hear Jimmy Butler sometimes say, like, I'm not competing until playoff time. Like to a certain extent, the game is watered down in certain areas until playoffs hit.
1: Point. Forward.
2: All right, Dre, it's time to get to this. We sit down and we got another good one. We sure do. We chop it up with Cavs
1: forward Dean Wade, who's been an important piece for Cleveland all year off the bench. And I think he's really going to be needed for them to make, you know, a little bit of a playoff push uh, from being mm-hmm. Mr. Basketball in Kansas uh, to selling in college to going undrafted, but carving a spot for himself in the league. Dean's journey is one you'll surely want to hear about thank you for joining us sir thanks for having me. yes um really really want the folks to get to know you um share your journey with us so i guess to start it started off you know how did you get here you know coming from where you come from how did you get on point forward meaning your journey to the nba
0: um you know i grew up in a really small farming community um senior class at 18 people um 1200 people in my town you know i I had great parents, uh my older sister, huge for me, um, huge into sports. My mom played uh volleyball in college, my dad played football in college. So I um, was always around sports my whole life. Um and then I fell in love with the game of basketball at a very young age. But you know, going through you know, high school didn't have too many offers. Um, you know, played in a really small, small league in the middle of Kansas and no, not too many colleges took notice from that. Um played AU in the summer and I got a little more notice from that. But um, you know, got lucky. Went to Kansas State. Um, when I was coming out of high school, though, they didn't have any scholarships open. Um, some guys got ended up getting kicked off the team for doing some not right stuff. And uh, so that actually let me get a scholarship. And I got a scholarship and um, just took advantage from, from there. Had an unbelievable college you know, experience. I had a great time. Spent four years at Kansas State. I'll say the only thing that, that I look back on that I wish would never happen was the, the, the foot injuries that I had. My junior and senior year broke my foot um going into the tournament, um, the conference tournament. So right at the end of the year, both times. Um and uh, you know, that also kind of hindered me in the, you know, looking to play basketball after after college. So I didn't know how much the NBA teams would be um high up on a on a big that just broke his foot twice two years in a row. So um really wasn't expecting much. Um, but I came out and you know, by the time I got fully recovered from my foot injury, it was getting pretty close to the draft time. So I did Five or six pre-draft workouts, and um, luckily the the Cavs gave me gave me a chance, and uh, the rest is history. Prior to um, you know, the Kansas
2: State situation, talk to us about you know what occurred for you get your reputation. You know, I know for sure you said you're able to benefit from a scholarship based off what some of the players did, but take us back to some of those earlier days of uh, you know, you putting in work and really you know finding yourself in a position to accept a scholarship.
0: Um, so like growing up, my mom was, uh, she's still a coach, um, my hometown. Um, so I always had keys to the gym and also helped I lived. Um, it was like the gym, the playground was right behind the gym. and My house was the next house over, um, mm-hmm. so I had to walk across the playground. So I, you know, I'd like take my mom's keys, um, go into the gym by myself, just, you know, any, any chance I could, I was just always, you know, there wasn't a lot going on in my hometown, not a lot to do. So, um, you know, I was always just kind of bored. Just took my a couple of my friends. We'd go to the gym, shoot. But other than that, we just battled in the in the playground. Me and my friends. Um, my sister would come out when we were younger and just kill us all. She put twenty one on our head easy every time. Um, then our my competitive nature came in, and uh, you know, I think it was like seventh grade. She she came out and played me. She was in high school, and I don't even know if she she scored. And she never played me a single day after that <laughs> for the first time. Yeah, it it felt so good, too. I was so happy.
2: Yeah, so when you went to the court, who did you identify as? You know, you see the small-town situation. Were you, uh, you know, were you kind instead of like the Larry Bird story, you know, you had a jumper and everything like that. He came from a small town. You came from a small town, like
0: a giant high camp or whatever. Yeah, no, my – I always used to – because my dad's favorite player was Larry Bird. He always used to talk about – uh, how great he was and stuff. You know, I never got to see him obviously play and stuff like that. But um, you know, I go out there and uh, I think my first, my first person I was like, oh man, that'd be awesome. Be like, was Dwayne Wade because we had the same last name. I was like, oh, that'd be sweet. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I, Yeah, I was running out there, had my, the weight on the back. Uh, I was, I was all hyped up, stuff like that. But uh, now, when I started getting a little older, like uh, junior high, high schoolish. Um, Started like really watching Dirk play. And he was like, for some reason, the Mavs games were always on. And we yeah. watched him. I watched him any chance I could, man. Watching him was, um, it was beautiful, man. He just, he had everything. So what was your, what was high school like
1: for you in in terms of like the fanfare? You know, most NBA guys, you know, they have a, you know, a storied high school career, you know, signing autographs. I think I signed autographs once my senior year started. Uh, the buzz started late for me, but you know, talk to me about being from a small town in Kansas and you going around everywhere you go, you just wreck and shop. You know, uh, you got uh, Mr. Basketball, correct? Parade, first team All American, correct? Yeah. So just kind of walk me through your senior year and what that whole thing was like. Cause that's, it feels like, you know, as you get older and this thing becomes about business, you know, it feels like those are the glory years. Am I right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, my, um, so my high school, uh, big basketball school even when i was younger you know we were really successful had a great coach um so like coming into high school my freshman year we we lost five or six five games um lost in our little sub state so didn't get didn't make it to state tournament um but then you know my last three years i I lost one high school game um that was my sophomore year i lost the team out of wichita Um, lost by like four uh, but I, like other than that, we never lost a game. Um, so my senior year it was like everywhere we went. I just signed to K State right before, like two days before the first game um, my senior year. And uh, it was like every game we went to was like packed with people. Everyone was always packed. And so like, that was like my first real. Um, and I was so naive at the time, I didn't even like, I wasn't even like really putting it together. I wasn't even, you know, like it was the weirdest thing. we go to like, these small gyms that had like, I won't say like terrible high school teams, but I I will say terrible high school teams. And they Yeah, beat, but you're like Jimmy Chipwood, basically.
2: You're traveling around, you are the big name, right? Going yeah. to Kansas State, small town. They usually take players from out of state. So to see it's rare to see a local hero, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was um it was crazy, man. We'd have people, especially like big K State fans, would drive to like all my high school games. Like I'm talking like out in the middle wow. of the they'd just drive out there. Wearing all purple, sitting in the stands, they wouldn't cheer for anybody but me the whole time. <laughs> yeah, so yep. it was weird though. Yeah, and so, um, but the, you know, we started, and then the pressure was kind of on because you know that was a, we just won state the past two years, um, my sophomore and junior year, and so everyone was expecting us, you know, to to run the run the state again. And um, the best team in the state besides us was actually like our rival in our little conference. So um, we ended up playing them like five times. And they split us yep. up, so we wouldn't actually – we wouldn't play them in the sub-state tournament, which was a, a blessing sort of kind of. But um, – because it was they, – they were a tough team, man. So we were – that game was always packed full of people, standing room, people yelling. They were diehard fans. Um, but, you know, we were – down. I think the state ch- championship game, my senior we were down six at halftime, and everyone in, in my locker room was freaking out, like – all the players they would uh-huh. never done before, they were like panicking, like full panic. And, um, we came out and just kind of turned it up a little bit, put on like a little full court press and, um, ended up winning the game. And, um, it, it was crazy, man, that even the opposing team, our, our biggest rival, man, like all their fans came over, shook my hand, all that. So it was, uh, it, it was crazy, man. My, my senior year was, um, man, it went by so fast looking back at it, but, Um, It was fun. It
2: was fun. Let's go back to it. So did you ever I know you had tons of Kansas State fans and the purple and everything, but on a national scene and, you know, my brother played in the Cloud County area of uh, uh, that little uh, Juco division. And I I know for sure everybody were big Jayhawks fans. Did you ever see like a Cole Aldrich, or, you know, correlate with like a, a Nick Collison or you know, um, uh, Kirk Hyrie. Did you ever want Kirk to try Heirich. to be, yeah, you know, be a Jayhawk and go play for the Great Bill South at the, was it, Lawrenceville House?
0: Yeah, yeah. Allen, Allen State. Allen State. Yeah. Uh, like, um, growing up, man, like, my hometown was, like, 50-50 KU fans, K-State fans. Okay. So, um, my high school coach, a huge KU fan, like, he went up every summer and did, like, the KU basketball camp, like, worked it and stuff like that, and I even, I won't lie, I went to, I went to a couple of those camps, and um, I got to meet, I think I went to the year they won the championship in like 2008. Okay. So I went there and I got to meet all the players and stuff like that. But, um, now like Nick Carlson, those guys, man, they're like Kansas legends out there. Like, yeah. Um, you know, you growing up, you know, uh, you always want to play at the, like the top, top tier, you want to be the best teams, stuff like that. So, um, it was always in the back of my mind, like, Oh, that'd be fun to play for KU, stuff like that. Um, but, I will say my family's, like, pretty big K-State fans. My dad played football at K-State for a few years, so um, I was always more of a K-State fan myself. Uh, but I'll say the the dream, you see, uh, like, a whole bunch of successful, like, more successful people come out of Kansas and go to KU than probably anywhere else. Um, and then I will say, like, when I was in high school, I met Ron Baker, who went to Wichita State. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. He was a baller. Yeah, so he was um, – I'm pretty good friends with him. So I think he helped me a lot, man. He was just like, man, because, you know, he he had no offer. He walked on at Wichita State. Um, he was like, I'm too good to play at the D2 level when he went and worked out. And he's like, he told his parents that. And um, it ended up working pretty well for him. So, um, but, you know, just talking to him, seeing his path, I was like, man, this guy's awesome. And um, as soon as, like, all the offers came in um, my senior year, KU, I don't, I don't even think they recruited me. I think I had got, like, one – Text from their coach, one of their coaches. So I was, wasn't too concerned. Um my dad was like, as long as I don't have to pay for college, you're good. And I was like, <laughs> Right. Perfect. So I got I got like a two-part question. First part of it
1: is who was the best high school player that you saw or played against when you were in high school? Like just not just in the state, but overall.
0: Um, overall, we played, ooh, I don't know. I would say the best high school player I ever played, probably Malik Newman. When I was, uh, oh, okay, the Dallas Great American Shootout, I think is what it was. But played him there. He he gave us like 40, 45. Yeah. and yeah, they, also had, they also had Terrence Ferguson on their team. So yeah. oh, had, okay, I know that name. Yeah, well, yeah, he,
2: Malik, Malik Newman, like offensively, he had a game like uh, Brad Bill. So they're pegging on yeah. being next Brad. So like when he's saying like, I mean, it sucks. He didn't pan out, but Malik Newman in high school was legitimately, like, top five you've ever seen. So, like, yeah. that, cool. that right there, yeah, yeah. Well, what college did he end up going to? He went to Mississippi State, but then he transferred to KU. Yeah, he transferred to KU. Ah, Average about 14 a night, little shooter, did, did some crazy stuff. But he was he, yeah. he part of the squad, 3 and D, but he he was tough. He
0: had game to him. His, his college, when we played him during the, like, conference season, he was averaging, like, four points a game for KU. And then uh they got to the tournament and he just blew up. He had like three 30-point games. Like mm. and I because uh he played for the Canton Charge G League team when I was a two-way my rookie year. And he was my teammate, and he was like, Man, like mentally I was just so out of it. And so when I got to the tournament, I just kind of I kind of said, Screw it, I'm just gonna do what I want to do. And he he was hot though. He, he did 30, what he was supposed to do. Crazy, man.
2: Yeah, so so talk about going from high school to being able to walk in day one at Kansas state and, uh, you know, being have, being able to really have to step outside of a small town and, and onto a big stage and, you know, really sharpening your tools against some of the great players, uh, you know, in the big 12, what was that like mm-hmm. meaning coach Bruce Weber and, you know, really
0: rising your game from a, a small state level to a national level? Yeah. So um, coming out of high school, man, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, wow. You know, i I've, played good competition before but i was just like you know not 100 sure how this would go um and, you know they lost i think they ended up having like six or seven guys transfer going into my my freshman year so i i got thrown into the fire early like i was starting from day one um and it was it was, it was a definitely an eye-opening experience um but i'll say going into it it was, it was super fun I was, I was having a pretty good year and then we got to big 12 play and then um the Big 12 was, like, loaded with, like, really older – like, older four, like, power forwards that were just, like, been through the fire before, like, George Niang, uh, Perry Ellis. Okay. Yeah. Perry Ellis. Perry Ellis. Was, yeah. I think it was, like, my third game in the Big 12, and I think if we were playing Iowa State, George Niang just went crazy. Like, I know he's not very fast, not can't jump the highest, but he torched us, man. He gave us, like, 28-10. Nine assists. They were, they were, that was a loaded team though. But um, they had Bryce DeJean Jones. Yeah.
2: Didn't they around that time? Nah, they, they had, had Monty Morris. Monte was, yeah, was, was there too.
0: Monty yeah. Morris is good. Yeah. Yeah. He's really good. They had a five man that was like super athletic, fast. He just ran the court as fast as he could every single time. Got like layups, dunks. Yeah, um, they, were, yep. they were tough. It's transfer you out there. They were yeah. All the yeah. It was transfer you over there. Oh, that was a tough team. So I was like my third game of the big 12. And that was like, really like when my, I was like, ah, oh, this is, this is how it is in here. So, um, but then on, man, it was like every team was super tough and we were like, K-State at the time was young. Um, everyone there was new pretty much. I think we had like three players from the year before and, um, man, it was tough. It was a tough year. Uh, we sucked, but, um, you know, learned a ton from that, from that, just that year alone. Um, but, yeah, coming out of high school, man, I didn't know what to expect. Got thrown right into the fire freshman year. Um, and the non-conference schedule was all right. Like, it wasn't too bad. But then you get in the Big 12 fight, and it was like the physicality and energy just bumped up, like, two notches. And, I mean, people are hitting you for no reason coming across the lane. You're just getting jacked by everyone. So it was a eye-opening experience for sure.
2: When did you have that moment, like you said, when you're in seventh grade and you finally beat your sister and the competitive nature kicked in like at what point was it like okay, this is no longer just the beginning stages, but I'm ready to rock and you know get to my next destination, you know,
0: yeah, so when I was in college, you talking about yes sir uh i was I was a sophomore um we we're going into uh big twelve play. And I think we were like four or five games in, I was like leading the big 12 and scoring. I really wasn't paying attention at all. I really didn't, wasn't caring too much about like the stats. We were just, you know, we were winning. So I was like in the big 12, we'd had won the year before. So this was like, this was big, man. I was like, oh man, we're winning. This is exciting. Um, But then I had a game. I think we were playing KU. I think I had 20 at their place as a sophomore. And um, that was like, man, yeah, like I can, I can really play with these guys. Like I'm, I think I've, and from then on, I was like, "Man, I'm the best player here." That's my mindset going into all the games, and um, yeah. So I was—I think that was probably it. When I was, we were playing KU at their place. Uh, I had like 20, 22. Um, Should have won that game. I Had a shot at the end, uh, missed it, but that was definitely the game where I was like, "Yeah, man, I can definitely hold my own here." This is like, is what it is. But that's—that was when I woke up and was like, "Yeah, this is this is for me for sure."
1: And so while we do that, you know, because I want to go, I don't want to go too forward, but is it similar in terms of the mindset? You know, I don't think people understand like how our mindset is going into basketball games. Like what we're thinking, you know, confidence is half the battle in the NBA, you yeah. know? So, uh, and you just, you just alluded to it a little bit saying to yourself like, okay, I'm the man now. Um, do you feel like, It's just working yourself to that point at each level and you finally get there. Um, And, you know, how long has it, you know, it took you, you knew it in high school, sophomore year, you figured it out. Um, But I guess, let me take it here. When did you know that you were an NBA talent, that you had the opportunity
0: where you can possibly play in the NBA? Yeah, so um, at the end of my, my sophomore year, man, I was getting like, I was having better games and, um, so people started kind of like, you, you hear like rumors, like, oh, you could, you know, you can go test the waters or whatever at the time. And I was like, I hadn't even thought about it. Um, and that, so I think I went to the little, my sophomore year, I went to the NCAA had like this little meeting thing. I forgot what it's called, but you go talk and like, they bring a whole bunch of like people in, they talk to you and it's like top, I don't know what it was, 20 players in the nba or in the college outcome, would come and they we'd all just stay there for a week in indianapolis and they'd bring for like people to talk about their experiences and losing much like money they all talk about like how you save your money and stuff like that when you get get to the nba and um ah. i think i don't remember how many people there was like i think it was like 15 or 16 people showed up out of the 20 invited and um we were in indianapolis and we had a guy uh who was playing for butler that was there and he was like you guys want to go play, you know, like a little open gym after this? And we're like, yeah, sure. So we go in there and um, it's like, you know, some some really good talent there. And that was like when I was like – I was playing against them. I was like, oh, yeah, I can definitely play in the NBA with this. But um, back to like the mindset thing, I think – especially basketball, I mean, confidence is literally half the battle. Like yeah, outside of everything, man. If you go in there with the, the confident mindset, um, especially uh, as a shooter, like confidence is everything. Um, your mindset, mm-hmm. you have to go into a game and think, like, oh, I'm the best shooter here by far. If I can even see the rim, it's going in. Yep. Uh, but that's, like, the, the biggest thing. It took me a while to learn that. Um, and I think somebody who really taught me that is uh, Kevin Love. You know, my Heard first that. three years, man, He he's like, you just got to be unconscious. like. And he yeah, used yeah. some other once in a while in there that I can't say. But he'd be like, I mean – who cares what everyone else says, man? Like coaches say, like, no, maybe, maybe look at a different, you know, maybe one more. He's like, nah. If you can see the rim, shoot it every single time. It doesn't matter what happens, you shoot the ball. That's what you're out there to do. And so um, yeah. I learned a lot from him, man. He he kind of took me under and um showed me showed me the ropes a little bit. And um, you know, I'll be always forever be grateful to him for that. But uh now nah, Kev Kevin's mindset's completely like that. I mean, like everything he does is unconscious, he can shoot. 10 times in game. If he misses all 10, he gets the ball the next, next time. Or just one pass early in the shot clock. Give him a little bit of space. He's shooting it for sure. Yeah. Yep. He's just like, he was the one who really taught me the mindset. Like you have to go out and think you're the best shooter, the best player on the court at all times, no matter what happens. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the mindset thing for me. It took a while for me to learn, but he, he, he kind of beat it in there.
2: Yeah. I kind of also uh, took from that story as well, that you, uh, you adapt quicker and kind of, th- you know, tough situations, especially coming from, uh, you know, a small town and going to, you know, big Kansas State and everything. And, you know, I want to take it to leaving college and you went undrafted and had to play for your spot. Like clearly those unknown moments of, you know, going to the gym in Indianapolis, showing up from a small town and, you know, obviously being able to go undrafted and get a, a, a contract deal. I mean, don't you think you always somewhat kind of been prepared for
0: those type of pressure situations? Because it's not easy to do that no it's not easy um but i had like i have a great like support system around me um you know i I have great like teammates everywhere i go i feel like i have like the best teammates um around so i mean especially like when i was coming out of college and they're like yeah you two-way deal i'm like yeah i'll I'll sign it two-way just give me anything to put my foot in the door like that's all i've ever asked for really was just like an opportunity to, to show myself improve myself and um you know, they gave me a shot. And then, um, you know, later on that year, people started getting hurt, which, you know, it sucks as NBA, everyone get you know, there's going to be injuries. Um, you just hope they're not bad or, or, you know, too, too much. But, um, I, there was a few injuries that happened and allowed me to go out and play. And, um, I, I feel like that helped me a ton too. Was just like being able to go out there and play. And, um, there was like no stress for me then either. Cause we were, I think we won like 15 games at the time. Mm-hmm. Like they threw me out there, no game plan, just go out there and play. And so it was like, no stress. I knew, I knew what I was playing for. Um, but the other guys out there, they were just like, man, let's just get this game over with let's, you know, get to the off this year. But I knew what I was fighting for. I was playing for, so I had a little extra chip on my shoulder, um, just to try to prove to them that I could play at the level. And, um, you know, so I think I got lucky, uh, a few spots along the way with just, um, playing time and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, man, that, that, that first year was, uh, it was weird, man. I remember calling my dad like midway through the season. And I was like, I was playing a lot with the G league and, uh, he was like, yeah, man, just, you know, it's day by day. Just take it day by day. Every, every day is different. And just, just worry about the next day. Not don't look too far ahead. Cause I was talking like, man, what do you think is going to happen to me after the season? You think I'll be all right? like, what am I going to do? And so um, he always, he always tried to keep me level, Um, just never look too far ahead. And uh, luckily it worked out for me.
1: So now I wanna jump into, you know, the the cream of the conversation, you know, and I always wanted to really tap into the perspective of, you know, like, obviously the league is majority African-Americans. And we all know, you know, the movies like white Man can't jump. And uh, Butch McRae was the name I was thinking from Blue Chips. You're probably, you're probably too young from that movie. Yeah. I, I
2: just used that name earlier, Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Butch
1: McRae. He yeah. was from a farm town, and he went to college with Shaq and Penny, uh, where uh, nah, Nick Nolte nah, was nah, the head coach. No, nah, nah,
2: nah, that ain't Butch McRae. Butch McRae, that was Penny Hardaway's character. Oh, that Bush bitch was, uh, push was yeah. Penny. Who, yeah, who yeah. was the white dude's name? Uh, Ricky. 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 Uh, Ricky. Ricky. It was not Ricky Bell. That's no. that's a. I uh, I forgot his name. Yeah, but he a, ain't see the
1: movie. The yeah, <laughs> name was part. Ricky. Yeah. But he was from a small town and you know, they're all they're always um, you know, subconsciously, you know, there are stereotypes with every type of player on the floor you know what I mean, from who can jump the highest, who can shoot the best, who's IQ, you know, defense, speed, quickness, all those things. So, you know, and then there's other things off the court that I want to tap into as well, just coming from your background. But what's it like being a, a white player in the NBA in your eyes?
0: Uh,
1: I mean – Or do you even notice it? I
0: don't no, really he notice. Uh, he got he got to notice. You what kind of music do you listen I, to? I will say my first couple of years, though, like, you know, you would be sitting on the bench and – um you know, like a white player coming for the opposite team. and I swear, it's like always the first possession they get in. It's like, hey, hey, run them into a ball screen. See if they switch. See if they switch. <laughs> Do that, yeah. And um, I'll even say, like, for me, my uh, my second year when I was actually playing quite a bit um, for the first time, I'm talking every team we played, I'm getting run into the first three ball screens and I'm switching every single time. My whole mindset is if I can get at least two stops here and on the third one I'll foul, like, I'll, it'll be like a little bit, I get the first two stops, they'll not call me into another ball screen the rest of the game. So that was my mindset. I'm yep. calling, the, calling the big white guy into a ball screen. I'm switching. All I got to do is get two stops and I'll have to deal with this the rest of the game. So that was my mindset going in. And K um, Love used to make fun of me. He's like, I'd be checking in and he'd be like, you know what you're going in to do, right? Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I move my feet better than uh, I think some people expect. So I got, um, I got, I got stops. And uh, that kind of helped me. I got a little bit more of a reputation as a defender now than I did back then. But um, definitely being a white, <laughs> a white player in the NBA, um, you're going to get run off the line for sure. Um, that's just mm-hmm. um, see if you can dribble. Uh, but definitely the defensive side is where you see it more. I think is like attack him every single time. Attack him. Besides that, what was your first like welcome to the NBA moment? Yeah, um, I would say so. It was like my first. It might have been a preseason game actually. Preseason game, we we're playing in uh New York at the garden and everything. We're playing and they ch- checked me in first play. Julius Rando ISO at the at the elbow. Yeah, he just went straight at me the whole like Bull in the China yeah, shot. Yeah, that's yeah, a man. Exactly. Trying to kill everybody. <laughs> oh man. And I, I was, you know, I was cold. I'm coming off the bench. I really wasn't expecting to go in yet. They throw me in there and he goes like shoulder to the chest. And I'm like, and it's my first, like it was probably my first NBA game, like real NBA game. We had like a preseason game, but it was against like, like a uh, Argentinian team or some Brazilian team or mm-hmm. something like that. So it was like my first NBA game. They throw me in there and I'm like, like Julius ran a one-on-one from the elbow. I'm like, I hadn't even like put a, I didn't even touch the basketball yet. And that's the first thing to happen. So that was probably my welcome to the NBA moment. Um, my true, like actually welcome to the NBA moment was my first practice. Uh, I'm guarding K Love, the score. We are there down two with like one point some 1.3 seconds left or something. And all they're telling me is don't let K-Love touch the ball. I'm like, all right, perfect. I can do that. Right. It's gotta <laughs> be. He's an old guy. He can't move his feet. He like hit me with some like vet push-off move, came across, like came around a screen, pushed the screener into me, catches it behind three, hits the three, and just smiles at me the rest like we we ended practice right there just cast it looked at me smiled and for the whole like we you know we gather at the the center circle to talk he's like right across the circle from me and he's just staring at me just smiling the whole time I like introduced myself to him like that day like before practice like I just met the guy he just cast a three for the game so I was like my first like I had to go home after that I called my dad I was like dad you won't believe this <laughs> I came even love today so uh that was that was like my first real uh welcome to the league moment
1: so I want to tap into that um for a second and you know we've been having a lot of conversations um you know whether it's with the union or I speak to the front office or coaching staff just the veterans presence and how you know they help a young guy get adjusted and acclimated to the NBA and you know I got some unique ideas that I'm trying to you know, push the NBA to try to implement. But just speak to how important that vet or how important Kevin Love was to you. Um, I know you spoke about on the court, which is beautiful. But off mm-hmm. the court, how has he helped you, you know, get adjusted and, you know, keep you on your toes to to what lies ahead off the court being an NBA player?
0: Right. Um, so, like, when I came in, I was super immature. Um, I'm, like, 21 years old. I'm, you know... I've I'm, I'm just joked around all the time. Never really serious. Um, but you know, I had K love and then Larry Nance, um, junior in, in the locker room. They were like right next to me. So, um, those two guys showed me the ropes. I mean, I think my first road trip, man, I was like super excited. I didn't know what, like what the NBA, you know, everyone, you've heard like NBA life, everyone does this, that, you know, goes out all that stuff. So I had no idea what to expect. I'm all like, I'm 21 years old, first time in the NBA. I'm I'm like super excited. Like I'm like geeked. I'm like a little kid. You know, I'm I didn't know what to expect talking the whole time. I'm annoying Larry, but um (laughs) no, they they took me out to dinner and um this kind of sat me down. And I was asking them like, so what what do you guys do on the road? And and K Love and Larry were like, I won't lie to you, like 85% of the time on the road, we're just in the hotel, just talking to each other in the hotel. We might go to each other's rooms, talk um and then other than that we're just doing treatment getting our bodies right and I'm like man that's that's some real old man stuff right there i remember <laughs> I, said, I said that to larry like man that's some real old man stuff right there and he was like yeah you'll understand it one day and um you know those just like i've been talking every day like larry walk around my room on the way down to breakfast knock on my door just in case make sure i was awake so just like little things like that they just taught me um to be on time and don't don't be a an a hole, as K Love would say. Um, well, that's, that's 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 rich coming from K Love, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> crazy though, he the, one of the first things he told me of this is on the court thing. He was like, Have you seen a white guy in the NBA that's not an asshole? And I'm like, Well, I don't really know you that well, but maybe. And he was like, No, if you're going to be successful in the NBA as a white guy, you kind of got to be an asshole. And I was like, he was, like, kind of joking at the time, but it, it was pretty funny because looking back on it, it was, like, kind of spot on. So, um, especially coming from him, I was like, wait. You a good guy? And then he just laughed, <laughs> walked away, just like that. So, um, but, no, they taught me so much, especially off the court, man. Like, you see the stuff Caleb does for his body after practice, like, before yeah. and after. They're, like, two hours before practice, two hours after practice. Like, his commitment to, like, just having his body in the right, right places. I mean, second to none. So, um, just him being, just being there, like he never even, he never really mm-hmm. told me that much stuff like, um, about you gotta do this, this for your body, just watching him just by his actions. I mean, you just, I, I learned so much from him. Just, I mean, he would be in the cold tub like three or four times in one day. I'm like, I I do yeah. not, there not a chance. I want to get in there, but I'm going to yeah. do it. He's doing it. Um, yeah. But then, you know, on the road, you know, he took me at dinners and stuff like that. And, you know, there's something I always appreciate about him. But just be a good person, man. That was like the mm-hmm. one thing you would be a good person and yeah, don't ruin your chance. Yeah. So
2: how'd you feel, you know, obviously looking up to Kevin Love so much? And, You know, he's a big part of Cavaliers organization for so long. How'd you feel going from, you know, learning from him to the point of, uh, you know, playing in front of him? You know, it, it kind of says that you're doing your job for the most part, especially, you know, with how the Cavaliers have been doing the past couple of years as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, man, it was crazy. Uh, it, it was kind of weird, you know, especially this year. Um, it was like they kind of were like, Kevin, you're not going to play as much in like the rotation. So he wasn't getting any minutes, especially uh, right before he, he got bought out. But um, it was just weird, man, because, you know, my first couple of years, he was always, always in the game. He was always like the loudest on on the court at the time. You know, when you were in with him, you you knew where he was at all times. So, um, you know, going in before him and and playing and coming to the bench, it, it was kind of weird just seeing him on the bench. But um, the crazy thing was, it was the same Kevin though. Like he didn't take it personally at all. Like I come off the court and go sit right next to him, he'd like. He'd show me, like, he would tell me a couple things, like, did you see the slip on this one, or like, just be over a little more on in the gap and stuff like that. So, um, like, he was like a true professional about it. Like, he he didn't take anything to heart. And, um, he kind of understood, uh, what was going on at the time. You know, I feel bad because, uh, you know, everyone in, in, in Cleveland loved him. You know, he was, like, yeah. he's like, he's so long, did so much for the organization. Um, but, you know, he really wanted to play. And uh, he still has some left to, to give to an organization. And um, they kind of came together and was like, it won't be here if you want to. And so I, I understand um, why he did it. You know, he he still wants to play. So, um, but it, it sucks to see him go. But um, yeah. Yeah, playing in front of him the past couple of years has kind of been, um, it was weird at first, but uh, you go to, the, I think I learned more from him. Um, than some of the assistant coaches, I feel like. I feel like I'm going <laughs> to bench and go straight to, Kay, like, hey, love. Yeah, he's like, yeah. tell me yeah. exactly what I need to know. So, and I think I learned better from uh, somebody that, you know, he's been through the fire so many times, been through so many different situations. Um, everything he says is, like, holds, like, a little more weight, you know, for me personally because, you know, I know he's been through it. Yeah,
2: well, 100%. Well, hearing all the stories about, you know, how he's been through it, let's, uh, you know, fast forward to, you know, kind of modern time. And, you know, forward. where do you want to take this? Where do you want to see yourself in the you know next five years? You guys are building something special there. And you mm-hmm. see uh, from Kevin what it takes to be a, a player that has longevity with, you know, with the Cleveland organization. Tell us about your five-year plan and how you want to elevate and, you know, leave your own legacy. Yeah,
0: so um, I think the next five years, I mean, you know, I th- – what we're building here is special. Um, you know, we got a bunch of young guys, you know, Darius Evan, yeah. especially like those two guys are like, you know, obviously going to be the cornerstones of this, of this organization. Um, got Donovan Jay. I mean, we've got some unbelievable pieces here. Um, I just, you know, I just want to be a part of the, I just want to be um, a piece that, that, you know, gives some sort of substance to the team. Some, you know, some sort of positive impact on the team. Um, you know, if that's defense, rebounding, whatever it is, hustle plays. Um, I I want to be part of it. I want to prove because, um, you know, I might not be like as skilled as some of the other people. So it's, you know, I get all my everything I get from like the NBA is is based on my team how my team does. You know, I don't get anything if my team doesn't win. Um, so I, I gotta, I kind of gotta push push myself to to do this the small detail kind of things and. Um, so that's my plan for the next five years is just be a more consistent shooter and especially just like my communication on defensive end. I think, um, you know, those, those, mm-hmm. those uh, star players we got, um, man, those boys are going to be tired. And sometimes, you know, they might need sessions off on the defensive end, but um, communication kind of covers all um, on defense. So if I can, if I can give them, you know, a couple of, seconds to really, like, catch their breath on defensive end. If I cover for them a little bit here and there, um, it's totally worth it. And, I I mean, I get my role. Um, My role Mm -hmm. is face the floor, give Darius, Donovan, Ev, all those guys just give them space to work. And um, if my guy goes over a little too far, shoot it every single time. So – well, let's talk about uh, you know, th- that guard play, the backcourt that
2: you have. It's a little bit different than some that you play with coming out of Kansas and Kansas State. Talk about how much of a talent Darius Garland is, and also uh, Donovan Mitchell. You know, you already seen a seventy-point game from him this year. What what type of energy do they bring? Where you know for sure it
0: helps you accept your role far easier. Yeah, no, um, man, those guys are unbelievable. I mean, you watch them play basketball, man, it's special it really is you see Donovan i mean Donovan had 71 in a game this year yeah. we were down in that game we needed all 71 of those game, those points <laughs> yeah. that's the crazy part um but watching watching those two guys work i mean it, and, and they're not it's not selfish basketball at all like they're just they're so good they can get to any spot they want on the court and um you know the, the shots they make are are no matter if it's open contested i, I always feel like they're going in like yeah at, time so um but no those two guys i mean darius young guy but he's so fast so quick i mean you can't stay in front of him but um i will say playing with those guys is is like makes my life so easy on the offensive end because there's so many eyes on on those two guys i mean the cuts back cuts like even just flare screen stuff like that i'm i'm so open and, and those guys are willing passers and um so it makes my life really easy um when they when they're on I mean, there's not a person that can stop him, I feel like. So, um, you know, it's incredible to watch, um, especially. I am in this room. <laughs> I'm, just I'm just joking. No, right, no, I'm just, I agree with,
1: no, I agree with you. Right, I can't right. keep up with them young punks. They take good, good. They good, good. But, I mean, I, and, and I really w- would prefer to start more of our conversations with this next question because we've had so – we had a great conversation about – you know, the mindset you have to have or just enjoying high school, you know, fun in college or you playing the NBA with some of your favorite players, what you're learning. But what I think a lot of our youth don't really understand is, you know, they got to go through hardships. You got to go through tough times to prepare you, you know, for the ultimate level, because, you know, the question is suffering from success. You know, everyone sees a glitz and the glamour. You spoke about it. You know, it's like I'm on the road. I'm hanging out. I'm just going to have fun. I'm just in NBA. I'm going to go out late at night hang out late at night not knowing like nah it's all about getting your body ready for the show so Mm -hmm. you know talk to us about you know just suffering from success in terms of what people don't see that you really had no idea what you were going into it could be financial mental physical whatever just you know give us a glimpse of what it's like for you to be an nba player and you know it's still a struggle
0: yeah no um i think the biggest struggle in nba um like for sure is 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 definitely like the travel and like the the what it does to your body I mean everyone's like they only see us play you know a couple hours a night you know here and there like every couple nights so they don't get they're like oh you get you know you got two days or a day and a half between games just sleep and you, you'll be fine back to normal but I mean as physical and as as big and strong as like NBA players are, I mean, like, you, you get beat up, like, your body hurts and stuff like that, so they don't see that part of it. Um, and I feel like every game, some, like, little Nick, like, scratch, I got scratched on my forehead from last night's game, stuff like, got bruises everywhere, they don't really see that kind of stuff, so um, that's that's probably the toughest part, but then I'll say like off the court, financially, like, man, it's crazy, like, especially, like, people from back home my first couple of years, um, I had like a lot of friends, um, some distant family members kind of, like I had, I don't even have their numbers saved. Like call me like, Hey, um, I got this great idea. Um, I feel like, you know, if I get it going a little bit, I, I just need a little extra cash to get it going. And like, Oh yeah. Like 30 grand. I, I get, I can get this going. I think it'll be really profitable and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, what's the, what's the business? So like, just hearing like everyone, your first couple of years is like, Oh, you have so much money. Like, mm-hmm. let me ask, let me, <laughs> let me, I feel like that's how it always went for me my first couple of years. Um, but I have like a great financial team that helped me kind of say no without having to say no. Like I always ask them like, yeah, okay, let me see your business plan. Then on the thing. And then they disappear. Yeah. And there was never, got to do that. um, but then, you know, you're also, I was 21 years old and I was getting money like I'd never even seen before. So, um, yeah.
2: well, when you first got, you know, your deal and signed to, you know, guarantee contract, how'd you, how'd you acclimate yourself? How'd you enter into the players ball? How'd you, <laughs> how'd you ball? You feel me?
0: Yeah, no, uh, I got it, man. And I was like, man, I called my mom. She was emotional. My dad was happy. My sister was happy. Um, and then I had I didn't even have a car at the time. So I, I went three oh. years without having a car. Um smart man. I, I went and bought a car and uh what type of What what'd you whip? Uh, Mercedes uh oh, AMG. Okay.
2: So so so, oh, nice. so so by that you called your contract a bag. You just ain't call it a
0: contract. You like, I went and got the <laughs> bag basically. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I <laughs> driving around in my uh my wife's car at the time. So a Toyota camera. I think thousand. i don't know what it was it's pretty hey it worked got me from a to b pretty fast so um, for sure but no i got my guaranteed contract and i was like man i need a car and then i was like all right well, let's not get out of my let's not spend too much now i don't know how long it's gonna go nah here. you
1: go. smart man smart yeah. man well we appreciate you tapping in with us, um, you know, wishing you nothing but the best. Um, and I appreciate you, you know, with the open honesty. Um, you know, we hear a lot about African-American players and, you know, the issues we go through off the court. Um, so it was just uh, a little refreshing to hear you had the same things, you know, uh, especially those ideas. You know, everybody's got an idea, no matter their creed <laughs> or color. And um, the, the, the is a the universal answer that I love, no. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> really really appreciate you just sharing your story and your journey you know wishing you nothing but the best going forward and um you know thanks for tapping in with us once again
2: oh yeah thanks for having me guys appreciate it you. You. yes sir appreciate right. you d Wade. <laughs> okay.
0: right. best of luck